It's your weekly installment of entertainment, gay, politics, gay, news, gay, from an LGBT perspective. So gay. We're your hot mess Sunday every day. You are back with Outspoken. We have made it to the second hour. Now, uh, if you've been tuning in for the last few months, we have made sure to have a conversation that's needed to be had in our community. And that's a conversation about HIV and the drug Truvada, which is part of PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. And we are going to continue that conversation right now. We have on Damon L. Jacobs. He's a New York-based licensed marriage and family therapist and an HIV prevention specialist. He works a lot within the media, so you've most likely heard him. And we're going to have a conversation with him about PrEP right now. Damon, are you there? I am here. Hey, thank you so much. Hey. We're thrilled to have you on. You're out there, way out there in New York compared to us. <laughs> we are uh, way out in Manhattan right oh, now, wow. in the <laughs> center of it, as we speak. I feel like it's just a fantasy story I've only read in books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I'm from the West Coast, so trust me, if uh, I can make it here, anybody can. Right? Oh, awesome. So we want to start with, we have been having a conversation, a very open conversation since December about PrEP, trying to get people to, uh, you know, to understand it, to talk about it. And one of the things, the first thing I want to ask is your um, response to the Kaiser study that came out on Tuesday in the Journal of Clinical Infectious Diseases saying that their two-year study shows 100% efficacy for PrEP. Can we start there? What's your reaction to that? Yeah, let's start there. Um, And just to be clear, it's been three years. uh, Oh, Because they started right after the FDA approval, which took place in July of 2012. Mm-hmm. And they took a, a bunch of people who have Kaiser as their primary insurance mm-hmm. and followed them, 657 people over three years, to say, you know, does this drug work? We know it works in trials, but could it actually work with real people in real situations in the real world? Mm-hmm. And three years later, it's come to our attention that the 657 people that have been followed, there has not been one single seroconversion. Not one person has become HIV positive while using Truvada as PrEP during this Kaiser study. How fascinating is that? That's huge. It's amazing, and it really reinforces what we've already seen in so many clinical trials, is that PrEP prevents HIV Mm. when it is used as prescribed. Right. And, and that's, I think that's the big question. All of those, uh, you know, all the people participating in the trial had used it every single day when they were prescribed. They used it as well, prescribed. Well, there's actually no, that one of the things they mentioned in the study is they can't, you know, there's no numbers to support that. Right. But. Well, and that's, that's the question. What are the numbers on that? How, you know, how did the people use it? Well, in the Kaiser study, yeah. they didn't actually measure adherence. Mm-hmm. They didn't actually measure through blood, through what we call dry blood spot- spotting technology. Let me say that again. The dry blood <laughs> spotting technology, which helps the researchers see how often somebody's actually taking the drug. But in the research trials that we refer to, that kind of measurement was being done. Right. And the studies that measured that were called the IPREX study, the yep. Open Label Extension for mm-hmm. IPREX the PROUD study, the um, IPERDAY study from France, Mm -hmm. and there's about 35 real-world demonstration projects currently taking place all around the world that are measuring adherence through dry blood spotting. And in all of these trials and clinical settings, we're seeing the same thing, that nobody who is using Truvada consistently four or more times a week has become HIV positive in these documented settings. 
Now, it's almost, it feels like this magic, you know, especially when you've been, we've been hoping for so long um, that something would come along. When it does come along, there is that, I think, natural backlash because people are afraid to believe that this could actually be real or they're skeptical because, oh, it's got to be. Have you run into that when you're going around and training people? Um, And what is your response? To that. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We have been so, fear has been so embedded in our minds in terms of sexuality and pleasure for at least the last 34 years um, since the AIDS crisis has been with us. Yes. We have learned to associate sexual pleasure with potential death or devastation or trauma. And so to suddenly undo that kind of thinking when we have a medical intervention to prevent HIV, it's not like that automatically just eases all the anxiety and the fear that we've been conditioned to respond to for the last 34 years. Mm-hmm. And so what we've seen, especially now, I mean, especially in this last year, is that the, the efficacy is there. This stuff works. That was not so clear to me four years ago when I started using PrEP. I began using it July 19th, 2011, and I've been using it daily ever since. It was not so clear to me back then. It's like, I I have a really hard time believing that this thing is really going to work. Right. Right. But I know after four years of using this and after seeing even more data and more research and more real-world anecdotes that, yeah, this stuff really, really works. But if people are just learning about this now or they've just started learning about this in the last year, they might have a very hard time wrapping their minds around this concept that suddenly, almost seemingly out of nowhere, we have a significant and important way to prevent HIV and that people that are HIV negative can step up and be part of this change that we want to see in the world. It's a radical paradigm shift from most of what we've learned. Well, and I think our community isn't, you know, like we said, isn't really used to that change and isn't ready, uh, you know, to fully accept the change yet because there's still people going around saying, you know, oh, you're a, you know, Truvada whore. You're, there's a lot of that negative connotations for using PrEP because that means, well, now you're going to be, you know, sleeping around all the time. And what is your response to, you know, the negative side of uh, PrEP and its perception in the LGBT community? Well, when somebody says that to me, I really listen for what they're really saying. On the surface, yeah. they're saying, you're a Travada whore and you sleep around. Underneath that, there's often a fear. And for many people, there's actually a lot of trauma. For people that lived through the first wave of AIDS in the 80s, there's a lot of trauma that what they saw and witnessed and took care of in the 80s will happen again in 2015 if people stop using condoms. What they don't understand is that most gay and bisexual men already gave up condom use. And that happened, according to the CDC research, that happened about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, that most gay and bisexual men, not all, but most gay and bisexual men gave up consistent condom use between around 1998 and 2000. Mm -hmm. So this idea that suddenly there's going to be this sexual revolution where all these men are going to be having sex in the streets and not using condoms, I'd say I understand the fear, but in reality, your fear had kind of already started happening a long time ago. People are sexually liberated. People are not using condoms consistently. Some people are not using condoms at all. Mm -hmm. And instead of judging that and moralizing that and finger-pointing that, 
what if we then gave people a tool to say, okay, if this is what you're going to do, you can take HIV off the table by using this medication as directed. And I think, you know, you brought up a, a key term that I talk about a lot on the show, which is the moralization, really, of medicine. But it's even if it's it's hard enough in some places to get condom use talked about in our schools, we've now, I mean, talk about the moralization. This, there's a whole moral factor that I'm not sure should be part of our national conversation. Do you think that is why, because what I was shocked about is, you know, like you said, it's been four, four years as this has been talked about, yet... It's only within the last year, I think, that people here where we live have been having the curious questions because they just started hearing about it. Is that partly because we've moralized the drug so much that we have muted the, the good parts of what this drug is, drug is good for? Um, I think the silence has been in part because of that morality that you described. You know, I thought, naively, I thought that once the FDA approved this in 2012, Mm -hmm. that this was going to be cause for celebration. I thought that there was going to be, like, dancing in the streets, like the way people (laughs) did when marriage equality passed, and that everyone was going to be celebrating and embracing, and they're going to be so happy because 30 years later we have a way to stop HIV in its tracks that we never, never had before. But what happened instead? The FDA approved it, and there was total silence. The media didn't talk about this. Our agencies, organizations, our Department of Health in most counties would not talk about this. And I think that does come from a certain level of moralizing, that gay sex is wrong, Mm -hmm. that pleasurable sex is bad, and inevitably has to result in some sort of devastating consequence. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a conscious intent on behalf of the media and the bureaucracies, but I'm saying this just seems to be so embedded in the fear of HIV and AIDS and unconsciously sometimes the homophobia, like, well, we can't let gay men have sex. Mm-hmm. We don't want to encourage that. Something really bad will happen right. if we give people a way to have sex for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then you got to ask Jonathan and, and Sergey, you got to ask, well, huh, where have we ever seen this before in America? Where have we seen this argument before? Let's go back to the 1960s and take a look at the debates that took place around birth control pills. Yes. Around the right to give sure. women yeah. the right to have yeah, pleasurable yeah. sex without mm-hmm. having to deal with the consequence of pregnancy, to give a woman the power over her own body, to give her sexual autonomy. Oh, well, that will mean she's a slut. That will mean mm-hmm. she's something bad. We can't have that in society. Exactly. We're seeing the same arguments now about Travada as PrEP that we saw 50 years ago against women having the right to birth control pills, and in some parts of the country, there are still people that believe that women don't have the right to use birth control pills, and those same arguments hold there as well. Exactly, and I think if we thought that that uh, wasn't uh, a modern argument, all we had to see was uh, Ohio when they were in front of the Supreme Court using the fact that marriage should only be about procreation. I mean, that proved right there that, oh, we may not talk about it, but this is still how we're viewing ourselves as sexual beings. That we right. just can't accept that we are. Now, you come from a very interesting, um, a different perspective than most of us in the fact that you are a, a licensed marriage and family therapist and you help people. Do you see more of that shame that you, that you run into when it comes to sex because of your just perspective and, and your, your career, really? Well, I, because of the, the therapy that I do, I get to help people work through a lot of their ambivalence and a lot of their shame about sexuality, especially gay and bisexual men, 
again, who, who are often living in a time where it's like, great, I, I feel better about being gay, we have political rights, we have social acceptance, but talking about sex and actually having sex for pleasure with one or more people mm-hmm. is still taboo. We're still not allowed to embrace that. We're still not allowed to really celebrate that. We can celebrate the right to marry. We can celebrate the right to serve in the military. But we can't really celebrate the ability to have pleasurable sex with multiple partners without HIV involved. And I think that's really where we're on the cusp of psychologically, sure. emotionally, in, in at least what I'm seeing in my practice mm-hmm. and what I'm finding out in the world as I go around and talk about this more often. Right, yeah, exactly. And so what is the step to you know fixing that at what point you know do we say okay enough we have to do something about it and do it and what is it that we need to do well the first step is what is happening now as far as prep is going because it took a while but we do have national organizations now endorsing this the human rights campaign the white house just endorsed this a month ago um, this is President, part of President Obama's plan to, um, you know, take care of AIDS by mm-hmm. 2020. In New York State, our governor says we're going to end the AIDS ep- epidemic by the year 2020, and that PrEP is a part of that. So we have sort of these national organizations and platforms saying PrEP is a good thing for those at risk for HIV. We really encourage people at risk for HIV to consider this as an option for them um, in terms of staying HIV negative and doing their part to end the AIDS epidemic. Within that framework, we start to have some room for conversations around saying, you know, the the psychological approaches to sexuality. What was sex like for you as a gay and bisexual person? Um, How did you learn about sex? How were you taught about sex? Most of us never, in America, no straight or gay person, no child, generally, we don't get any kind of sex education. We get Mm -hmm. disease aversion. So we start to talk about what it means to think about ourselves as erotic sexual beings and how do we tap into that and celebrate that without the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the fear, and to begin to celebrate that part of who we are in our bodies and in our spirits. And that is a lot of the work I do here in Manhattan, where I'm calling you from in my office right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of the work I do with the clients that I see is just beginning to ask these questions. Well, and you also, you know, you, you're involved in media, and of course you go out and do your public speaking events. How is your response? Who are the people that are, are smart enough to reach out and say, hey, we want to have an open conversation in this group? Basically, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get it in Spokane. But what is it, what's the difference between those of us? Because Sergey and I grew up, grew up in very conservative Christian households. So talk about learning that you don't talk about sex and sex is dirty. How do you start getting into the communities like ours is a very conservative community to start those conversations uh, that we need to be having? Well, it begins, uh, again, I think there's so many levels to this, because basically what we're talking about in this conversation is challenging 200 plus years of American morality and Christian, often Christian values, that's saying that sex is bad, that sex is dirty, that sex should be hidden if it's, you know, and it, quote, should be only for procreation. Um, This is what I think is so exciting about PrEP is the paradigm shift around this, how it, as well as birth control pills, Mm -hmm. it enables us to have a different kind of dialogue with our doctors and with our partners and often with our families to start to say, I deserve pleasure. 
And there is nothing wrong with pleasure. And there is nothing sick or unhealthy or pathological about pursuing pleasure. Right. Now, this is where I have seen change start to happen incrementally in communities and families, um, amongst peers, amongst doctors, is when we just start to have this conversation in a very simple and loving way. I think what goes wrong is when we start to argue about it, and we start to debate about it, and we start to get defensive, and then we right. start to attack each other and call each other horrible names on social media. Um, <laughs> that's where we get off track in terms of the conversation. Uh, the people who are using PrEP right now in the U.S., I'd say, are what we call PrEP warriors, because we are, by hook or by crook, we are activists, and we are the ones that are at least educating our doctors. Most people on PrEP right now were the first ones to go to our doctors and say, I want to stay HIV negative, and I want to have sexual pleasure without risk of HIV. And we are the teachers. We are kind of the, the, the ones going forward. And so this is how I think society and the medical establishments and the norms change is by having these one-on-one conversations or in a place like Spokane is, is to have a panel, have a community panel, um, have it with a doctor, with someone who is either using PrEP or an advocate for using PrEP, mm-hmm. and just invite people to come and have a respectful dialogue and a conversation. And if you guys ever do that and I can be there, I'd love to be there. I'd oh, love to be I'm- part of that. I'm um, telling you, you definitely have the, the last three years. <laughs> you <laughs> definitely have the inspirational energy. I've got to give you that. That that oh, is definitely there. one of the things that I want to say in the in the study when it was released. One of the things that uh, some people brought up is the good thing. Here's another plus that's kind of off to the side, which is we can start talking about other STIs that exist. Because we are taking care of the big monster in the room. And now let's talk about how, you know, it doesn't protect against this, but you need to be aware that these STIs exist out there. So we can begin to have a more open conversation because we tend to cower and hide under HIV because it is the most terrifying that's out there. Well, fear about sex is so ubiquitous. And what I have seen now is that once people take away the fear of HIV... The fear goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I'm see- so what I mean by that is like now that we've changed our focus for those of us on PrEP and people right. learning about PrEP, we think, okay, I'm no longer afraid of HIV, but I still have to be afraid of something. Right. So I'm going to be afraid of syphilis. I'm going to be afraid of gonorrhea. I'm going to be afraid of chlamydia. I'm going to be afraid of all these other things. Right. And again, as an educator and as a therapist, I, I recognize that fear. I validate that fear and then just proceed through that logically. Let's talk about what that means. First of all, the STDs have been with us for hundreds of years before we ever had PrEP. So it's (laughs) not PrEP's fault that we still have (laughs) STDs in this world. It is absolutely true what you're saying. PrEP Truvada does not prevent any any sexually transmitted infection except for HIV. That it does. The others it does not. But let's think of it like this. People that are HIV negative and otherwise healthy, are now being connected to medical care in a way we never were before. Yes. In accordance with the CDC guidelines, most doctors prescribing PrEP are testing their PrEP patients for STIs, meaning sexually transmitted infections, every three to four months. So if you consider that a lot of people that are HIV negative and not connected to medical care are often running around having a lot of sex without condoms, Oftentimes, they may have 
STIs mm-hmm. in the rectum and not have any symptoms. Or they might have syphilis, and syphilis is often without any kind of symptoms. And they might be spreading it to others without realizing it. Right. But mm-hmm. thanks to PrEP, we are now seeing our doctor three to four times a year and getting screened for all these STIs three to four times a year so that we're not spreading them to others. In other words, PrEP does not prevent the transmission of other STIs, but PrEP stops the spread of other STIs because of the protocol. Sure, because you have to go get tested and you have to go visit a doctor. Right, that makes sense. And we we love to, we have a saying out here, uh, check your butt, that that's that's our way to advocate for being tested for STIs and STDs. It's true, but a lot of them, you just won't have symptoms. Yeah. I, I have yeah. a friend who wanted to be on PrEP, so he went to see his doctor, and his doctor's like, okay, I'm just going to check for other STIs. Right. And this guy found out that he had rectal gonorrhea. Oh, he wow. just have, he has like got no idea how long he's had it. He has right. no idea how many people he's given it to. Right. He just knows that because of PrEP and because of asking about PrEP, he's not giving it to anybody else. Yes, exactly. Now, do you think, do you foresee as it seems like finally we are having more of an open conversation in more places like over here in Washington where where our community didn't know a lot about it. Do you, are you foreseeing that it's going to be a little more mainstream for gay men to be able to ask questions and to be put on it if they, you know, if they make that choice? Do you see that that might get easier now? Yes, and I've already seen that happen now in the last four years. Um, since I started using it, and in the three years since the FDA approved it, it does seem to be following this, a very similar trajectory, again, to women and birth control pills right. in terms of how women were initially stigmatized for wanting to use birth control pills when they became available in the early 60s. But by the late 1960s, it had become very much a part of the political movement and very much a feminist issue about the right to control one's sexual autonomy. And I think in the gay uh, political machine, we are going to see a very similar trajectory. Um, I love that we have marriage equality in this country now, and believe me, I'm thrilled about that on every (laughs) level politically. I'm a little bit concerned, however, Mm -hmm. about what that means for us in terms of the ability to celebrate our sexuality in non-traditional ways. That if people are forcing themselves to conform to a heteronormative standard of monogamy, which actually doesn't really work for much straight people, but now (laughs) gays and lesbians are forcing each other to try to be monogamous when their desires and their bodies are telling them otherwise, that we might be setting up a bit of a, a, a boilerplate of emotional and physical issues. Right. That might lead to a lot of guilt and shame. And once we've got guilt and shame, we often have people engaging in sexual activities that put themselves and their partners at risk. Exactly. And let's face it, gay marriage is amazing, but it also leads to gay divorce, and that has all sorts of emotional issues connected to that. It really does. And this is why when I, I work with a lot of couples in my practice, and I say the main thing we want to look at is creation versus conformity. Mm-hmm. You get to create this relationship any way you want. Mm-hmm. It could be monogamous, it could be polyamorous, it could be open, but you, get to, but you do have to create something. Right. You can't just conform to some heteronormative standard that doesn't actually exist, because that's a one-way ticket to the divorce court and my therapy right. couch. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it, you know, and often, transmission of STIs, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, in many cases, it's led to transmission of HIV. 
So instead, let's just talk about in a really respectful and honest way what it means to be a sexual person. Mm-hmm. If you're getting married now and you might potentially live to be 100, you might still have another 50, 60, 70 years with this person. Right. So why don't we just talk about the reality that you're mm-hmm. going to be drawn sexually to other people at some point in the next 50, 60, 70 years right. and start from there having a respectful, loving conversation about that and how PrEP may or may not fit into that. Right. But it should, in the very least, be part of that conversation. Now, before we, we let you go, I did want to ask, so what advice would you give? Because we're, we're talking about this open conversation about sex, which is an open conversation about ways to protect ourselves like Truvada. What would you give advice to someone who is either a young gay man coming out or maybe they're in their years try, finally, you know, accepting their sexual being? What advice would you say is the healthiest way for them to, to, I guess, discover that? Well, Jonathan, I wouldn't give advice. I would listen. Oh, no. That might sound crazy because I've just been talking nonstop for the last 20 (laughs) minutes. But honestly, when I'm dealing with somebody and somebody who might be ambivalent or unsure of what they want, I listen. Mm -hmm. Because giving advice to people doesn't generally work out so well. But when we take the time to listen to someone else's concerns or their values or their questions or their confusions, it allows us as supporters, as healers, as, as healthcare workers, it gives us an opportunity to understand the world from their point of view and get into their mind space to work within their framework for healthier decisions. Right. So let's say I'm working with a young person and they don't know what they want. I'm going to ask, you know, well, what, is, what matters to you? Right. What is interesting to you? What is your future? And, and you know, if you're, if you're HIV negative, does staying HIV negative fit into your framework of what a happy, healthy, successful life looks like? Right. And if the answer is yes, which it might be, but it might not be, but if the answer is yes, then we'll start to say, okay, well, let's think about what your options are if you are wanting to stay HIV negative. And thanks to the whole spectrum now of prevention, which includes condoms, which includes PrEP, which includes strategic positioning, which is choosing to be either top or bottom or, mm-hmm. or being clear about that. We can talk about that more if you want. Right. Um, but just talking about the many, many options on the spectrum one has. But it's not about me giving advice. It's right. about listening and working within one's framework of values to help them make the decisions that are, are the most proactive, responsible, and empowered for them. You know, PrEP, as you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, it, it officially stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. What I say it stands for is proactive, responsible, empowered pleasure. Oh, wow. Actually, and then I work realized... within their system to help them figure yeah. out what is the most proactive and responsible and empowered way you can pursue pleasure. That's amazing. You know, one of the things, uh, it, the movie, um, The Normal Heart, I, we recently had a showing of it in Spokane that we hosted. And we talked, we had a panel about PrEP afterwards. But one of the things that, that uh, Larry Kramer talked about was that the sexual revolution for gay men was this empowerment, this empowerment that they had control of their sexuality. And then the anger, the backlash that happened when HIV came in is that someone took it away from them. So when we were saying, now you don't have sex or don't do these things, it was this, he saw it, Larry Kramer saw it as this, no, you're taking away our empowerment in just, you know, with one fail swoop. And that has been the anger. And I feel like we are trying to, 
you know, come out of that and realize you can still have empowerment with your sexuality. Um, and now this is a tool that might even help you to reclaim that. Yeah, and, and I wish everyone would just think for, you know, do their own what we call inventory of mm-hmm. what it means to celebrate sexuality. That doesn't mean you have to have a lot of sex. It doesn't mean you have to have any sex. But what does it mean to celebrate and respect your body as a sexual being? Exactly. Without the fear, without the shame, without the homophobia, without the embarrassment, without the stigma. We are not quite there as a society. We are not (laughs) quite there in our gay communities Mm -hmm. having these conversations. But I think we're getting closer, and I hope we're getting closer. And, you know, I think we all hope so, too. That's a really good conversation for us to have. And we thank you for coming on and yeah. having it with us. As long as there's people like you out there talking exactly. about it you, as loud as you are and then us trying over here, I think that's the best shot we have. I think so, too. It's, it's you know, really, this is great. The thing with PrEP that's really interesting is that the political side has kind of been done. I mean, the FDA right. approved it. The CDC endorsed it. The World Health Organization recognizes it. The White House recognizes it. The political stuff is done. Right. What we all can do, what you and I and everyone listening to this can do, is now take our part to either learn about this, decide for ourselves whether it's right, or if you know somebody who is at risk for HIV in the next six months, have a conversation. Just that's the kind of activism and education that is deeply needed right now. And we all have the ability to be part of that transformation in this society. Have these conversations or post something on social media on the platform that you use. I started a group on Facebook, and I hope you guys will join or anyone listening to this will join. It's called PrEP Facts, F-A-C-T-S, Rethinking HIV Prevention and Sex. We have 9,000 international members who are coming to learn the science, the data, the facts about PrEP. And it it was my trying to be my part in helping people learn about PrEP through social media, through this grassroots effort. And everyone can do something on some sort of level to help their loved ones become more proactive, responsible, and empowered about their pleasure as well. Absolutely. Well, education is often the best form of advocacy, and that's what we advocate here on Outspoken. Damon, thank you for taking time out of your Sunday uh, over in Manhattan and calling over here on the West Side. We're going to have to act uh, to invade Manhattan and just say hi, because this sounds amazing. (laughs) It has been more more than a pleasure to talk to you, sir. You too, both. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a wonderful Sunday. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. If you just joined us or you enjoyed that conversation we had, that was Damon L. Jacobs. He's a New York-based licensed marriage and family therapist. He is also a hashtag prep warrior, an HIV prevention specialist, talking to us about the importance of really conversation, mm-hmm. ad, uh, you know, activist, really, just by having the conversations open about sex, which we don't have a lot of in this country. And it is in the secrecy and uh, that honestly bad things can happen so right absolutely and i love that that conversation was about prep and sex positivity which i love that two great conversations for us to have on a sunday afternoon all right we are going to take a quick song break houston what are we listening to today uh the song is going to be by maddie mullins he's a spokane native if anyone didn't know that that's awesome and uh come on the show maddie right (laughs) totally (laughs) Uh, but the song is see you and everything 